Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Traveling for college hoops this winter? Pro tip, stay at a graduate hotel. They're obsessed with college basketball, just like us. Each graduate hotel is like a shrine to the local team with lots of cool details for alumni. Nods to school colors, mascots. Why would you stay anywhere else? They have 30-plus hotels in the best college towns. And get this, you can save up to 30% with the code DOUG. That's my name, D-O-U-G. Good at any graduate hotel, any location, up to 30% off. Book your basketball stays at graduatehotels.com. All right. All right. All right. This is the Doug Gottlieb Show. Here's In the Bonus with Doug Gottlieb. What up, Doug Gottlieb Show? In the Bonus here on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app. Welcome in. Let's start with this. Uh, Bob Knight passed away last night at the age of 83 years old. And what people don't know is uh, my dad was actually his teammate at Ohio State. My dad wasn't on the varsity. He was on the JV. JV practiced with the varsity. He was a walk-on. My dad then became a high school coach after going to grad school. And the guy who he used to take notes was one of his contemporaries from, which was Bob Knight, was an incredible clinician. He was the head coach at West Point when I think he was 24 years old. It's crazy. Then after like one year, became the head coach at Indiana. And uh, he had, we, we used the word yesterday, fiefdom. He had a fiefdom. Uh, and it's, it's one of those stories that you're doing it an injustice if you only tell the negative. You do it an injustice if you only tell the positive. But you're also doing it all in injustice if you don't say the, the positive far outweighed the negative. But there's so many lessons to be learned. You know, uh, one, there's a lot of people who don't really know how he taught what he taught. Uh, but the lessons that he taught as offensively, defensively, competitiveness, uh, toughness. It was, it was also the, the old school, which was break them down, build them back up. Right? Break them down, build them back up. All of those things were real things. And all of those things helped build this indelible legacy where he was, he's probably the most influential coach ever. His last undefeated team, he won multiple national championships. 
Uh, even though he didn't love the three-point shot, he embraced enough for Steve Alford in the first year they had the three-pointer, who shot over 50% from three and won the NCAA championship that year in 1987, beating Syracuse. He resurrected Texas Tech's program. I think had he not, had he gone to TV earlier, like a decade earlier, he would have been great on TV. He was not. And because of how it ended in Indiana, because of how it was when he was on TV, and because of so many of the videos of the antics, most people think he was a psychopath. And I think there was a there was a switch there that could be flipped that he could get there. But there's also, you have to take context into it. Coaching was so different then. So different then. All right, there we go. Three, two, one. So, it's a complicated legacy. But I think as we see so many of these incredible, incredible coaches, and frankly men and some women, uh, go on to the, the afterlife, I think it's important to, to paint the real picture. Was he a bully? Yeah. Could he be charming? Absolutely. Was he well-read and well-thought of? He's brilliant. Brilliant. Would it work today? Probably not. Is that a good thing? Maybe. Maybe not. Um, but I do think that he was worthy of study worthy of praise. And if you get caught up in the negative moments, the bad moments in anybody's life, in anybody's career, and you don't see the overall forest because you're too close to the trees, you're going to miss out on a lot of history, a lot of good history. Guy changed a lot of lives for the better. He was about educating. He was about getting people onto a better life in basketball, outside of basketball. Do I agree with all of his message? Of course not. Of course not. Who would? But do I think a lot of them worked and there's ways to tweak them and use today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Bob Knight, dead at the age of 83 years old. And by the way, um, good friend of mine, Mike Lewis, uh, we have podcasts in all ball. You can hear Mike, Mike Lewis talk about playing for Coach Knight. He was his last point guard. We were supposed to play them in 2000 in the NCAA tournament. They got upset by Pepperdine. Pepperdine. And so he beat Pepperdine in the second round. And of course the video came out, had come out previously. And then it was the no tolerance policy. And he went off on a student who yelled at him, Hey Knight," And he was all about respect. You should call me coach Knight, And uh, he lost his job. And then he eventually resurrected Texas tech. For more on that, let's welcome in Dan Dockich, who of course hosts his own show on outkick. He was a, uh, uh, a very good player in college. Of course, famously shut down Michael Jordan, in the NCAA tournament, he became an excellent assistant coach, head coach, and then college basketball analyst and a really successful radio host in Indianapolis. Now he hosts a national show, which you can see daily on OutKick. He's the one and only Dan Dockich. He joins us here in the bonus on the Doug Gottlieb Show on the iHeartRadio app and Fox Sports Radio. And um, Double D, you, you've lived a series of lives um, with Bob Knight. Your first meeting with your late great coach. Swear. You know what, Doug? I was uh, at a high school game. Um, I had 30 at half, scored 49, set a school record. I came home, and my dad says, hey, man, you know, you uh, you set the school record. I didn't know that. I go, oh, okay. He goes, but I got pretty good news for you. He goes, uh, Indiana's assistant was there, and they want to invite us to the uh, Big Ten championship game Saturday or Sunday. I think it's probably Sunday against Ohio State. I said, let's go. So we go to the game, 
And Doug, I'm I'm from Chicago, basically, not not Southern Indiana or Middle Indiana. We we followed DePaul, you know, Notre Dame, that kind of stuff. And uh, I've never been to Assembly Hall. We walk in, and holy hell! I mean, I'm like, whoa, look at this. Uh, game's over. Indiana wins. We don't know nothing about recruiting. Zero zip. Uh, my dad, my brother, and I, we're just leaving. We're like, all right, hey, great game. Thanks for, you know, we didn't talk to anybody. We're just leaving. Jimmy Cruz, the assistant, grabs us and goes, hey, where are you going? We go, well, game's over. They go, no, come on in the locker room. We're like, really? So we went in the locker room. Long story short, they celebrate. Knight tells uh, my dad and my brother and I to wait here. And he's got to do media. Players say hello, and then they leave. And it's just me, my dad, and my brother in the locker room. And I'm looking at this board, Doug. It's still in the locker room probably today. It was goals for each game, like 65 points, no opponent scores, 20, that kind of thing. And, Doug, all of a sudden I get hit in the right ear, like smacked on the side of the ear, and I turned my right shoulder with my left my left uh, fist clenched, like, what the hoop? And it's Coach Knight. And my dad and my brother are laughing because they know I didn't see him coming. And he goes, hey, our uh, – are you going to come play here at Indiana? And I looked at my dad and my brother. I, I, I said, well, are you offering me a scholarship? He goes, yeah, I'm offering you a scholarship, dumbass. Yes. What do you think I'm offering you? I go, okay. Yeah, I'm playing at Indiana. Uh, and that was pretty much it. That was uh, the first time I met him and uh, kind of started, what was that, 1980, so like a 17-year thing with Coach Knight. So the 1980, that, that team, when you were recruited, that was the undefeated team? No, 76 was undefeated. 76. 1980 was Mike Woodson was the MVP, and he had come back for the last four games of the year, and they had to beat Clark Kellogg and Herb Williams. And winner won the Big Ten, loser didn't. And, uh, yeah, it was 1980, year before they won national championship. I was a junior, so my, my high school graduating year was 81, the year they won national championship. Um, okay, so... Um, what was it like for you to play for? What was it really like? Because that was prime coach night. Off a national championship, off a couple national championships. He could have run for governor and won unopposed. Um, What was was that experience like? You know what, Doug? Uh, It was hard. I mean, my first practice, I can remember this day, I looked over at our manager, Mike Fox, and I'm going to die, Doug. I mean, I'm not going to kind of, you know how people say they're going to die? I literally thought I was going to die, and I looked over at, at Mike, and I said, Mike, how much time left? And he looked at his watch. He goes, you got two hours and 40 minutes left. And I'm like, oh, hell. Uh, I, it, it was hard, but it was our thing. I tell people all the time, we beat Miami. My first game as a freshman, I played one minute right before the half, scored five points. And you know, I'm like, all right, this is pretty cool. We come in the locker room, and Coach Knight throws us out. He uh, makes us go dress in the football locker room, says we're not worthy. We won by 20 and had a practice the next morning at 6 a.m. And uh, But, you know, it, it is going to sound sick to people, but we loved it. I mean, it was our thing. Some guys quit, no doubt. Uh, but it was kind of like, I don't know. We, we it, was, it was like sadistic, almost like, hey, man, if uh, why do you like this? I don't know. I'd rather not have it. I'd rather win every game, but he was hard, man. But he was also funny as hell. I mean, and you could tell the one thing I've always told people is, and people don't necessarily believe this. He was very uncomplicated. He wanted you. 
to play well, do the right thing, go to class, and that's it. He didn't have – people act like he had all these interests. He read books, but if he wasn't working at basketball, then he was hunting. And it's very simple, really. Um, but it was hard. I mean, we we practiced hard. If you lost, you knew you were going to be there maybe right after the game. If You, you, you certainly did not want to lose before Christmas because you never knew if you were going to have Christmas. Yeah. But as I, as I tell people, the good far, the daily good, oh, man, it is a blast being an Indiana basketball player. And, it, and you know what else, Doug, and you'll appreciate this, because you've coached and you've played. He was fair. Like, I tell people all the time, there's a lot of coaches now, they get eight guys. Wooden used to get eight guys, and that's it. Not Coach Knight. I, I'm, I, and I learned this my freshman year. We're playing at Kentucky with Minifield and Bowie and Turpin and these guys, and they're kicking our ass. And I'm literally the last guy in. Like, I think he would have put in managers, but I get in last six, seven minutes, and we cut the lead from 20 to about eight at Rupp. And, you know, I'm just passing the ball, not turning it over, made a couple steals. The next thing you know, I started probably half the time for the remainder of the season. So, if you came to practice and you worked hard, you might not get it the next day, but eventually you're going to get a real good opportunity. And I always thought that was great, Doug. I always thought just being fair like that was the way you should be. And he was very, very tough, but very, very funny and very, very fair. There was, and like we can we can be honest about it, like there was another side. There was uh, a side to it where he would be, he could be angry, you know, he could mm-hmm, he yeah. could be downright mean and and nasty. What was that like to process, considering all the good that was there as well? Well, that wasn't good, and really, that the the that real anger stuff, you know, kind of happened later. And you know, I remember telling him when I left to go to Bowling Green because when when he did, I didn't see the deal with Neil Reed. I was on the other side of the court. I caught the end of it, and I remember going to the locker room and screaming at him. What the are you doing? Because I was a player, and you don't ever put your hands on a player, blah, 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 you know. Um, and then I went in the locker room, and really it didn't seem like Reed or anybody else had a problem. But those episodes were awful. And I used to tell them, like, that's what you can't headbutt it. What the hell are you doing headbutting a guy? Um, those went over the line, and there's no doubt about it. There, there's no question. And it really started happening later when he did not work at it. And I really, I'm not a psychologist and I hate when people do, but I, I, I remember telling him, coach, you must feel guilty because he, he wouldn't recruit. He wouldn't go see Jacques Vaughn. He wouldn't go uh, spend the day with Rafe LaFrance when he was on our campus. Uh, we had Jahidi White committed, Lauren Woods, uh, Chris Carwell, and he wouldn't even go see him. Um, but I think he felt guilty late. And I think when you, when you feel guilty, you get frustrated, and that's when a lot of those things came out. The chair deal, Doug, I was sitting right next to him getting ready to go in the game against Purdue, and the chair was – there was two things. First time he never wore a sport coat, and Uwe Plop, our, our center, told me, he goes, Danny, coach getting thrown out today. That's what he's talking about. He goes, he's not wearing a sport coat, so he won't have anything to throw. He told me that as we're running out onto the court. And he tried to throw a sport coat, but he didn't have one on it. We had seen him throw a chair. Randy Whitman counted one time. He and I counted night through 52 chairs one day in practice against the wall. There were all these red plastic chairs. So that wasn't, that wasn't the same level of frustration as the Reed thing or Wilkerson. But those were horrible. And I, I, I tell people all the time, I don't justify it. 
And I told Coach when I left in 1997, I said, you know, if you don't have somebody in here that is going to tell you that you're screwing things up, then you're going to get fired because athletic directors and presidents have egos. And because I used to do that, I'm not saying I would do it. You know, I, I did it. I'm not saying he listened, but I would, you know, he would, if he calmed down, he would say, what do you think? And I'd say, coach, that's idiotic. You better go apologize. You better, you know, whatever. But everybody's got an ego and you do that enough. Of course, the people in power are going to assert their ego. And that's what ultimately happened. What was he like in these last 10 years where he disappeared from public eye? You know, Doug, I really didn't know. We we had a falling out. You were at ESPN then, and he, 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 he bad-mouthed me. I mean, he wanted, you know, I was doing Tuesday ESPN uh, Big Ten games, and, I, I you know, I had people at ESPN saying, man, Coach Knight bad-mouthing you. And so I don't really know. Our last conversation was uh, – uh, at ESPN, Selection Sunday, and it didn't go well. We was just the two of us down in that basement where Digger used to hold court, you know, on the, on the you know, building four or whatever, and it didn't go well. But I tried a few years ago. His doctor, Doug, is my doctor, and I was in Bloomington, and he was my heart doctor, and I said, hey, man, if I go see Coach Knight, you know, and just talk to him, will he be a jackass to me? Or will I have to, you know, get in an argument? He goes, Dan... He said, Coach won't know who you are. He said, he might on a really good day, but 90% of the time he's not going to know who you are. And, and Doug, that, that was sad to me. And when I, when I heard that he passed yesterday, two things hit me. And you and I both dealt with this. You know, I don't give a damn how old you are. You lose your daddy, you lose your mom. It's awful. I was 52, I think, when I lost my dad. I remember when you lost your dad. And I, I immediately thought about Timmy and Pat. Uh, his two sons, losing their dad. And then the other thing I thought, Doug, was it's so sad because you were on the West Coast. You know how people revered John Wood that would come out to his little apartment. So many coaches have pictures, you know, to to get his wisdom and to get his knowledge and to just spend time. And I was really hoping, and dementia is such a horrible disease, I was really, really hoping that – you know what, once he got done broadcasting and things settled down for him a little bit, that he would become that kind of guy. But dementia robbed him of that. Dementia robbed us of that. Dementia robbed his players. Dementia robbed guys like you that love basketball, that would just love to sit and talk to a guy, you know, with that kind of history. And he would have loved to have done that. He, I, the, the Bob Knight I know would have loved to have become that guy. But dementia... God dang it, it just it, it destroyed the greatest mind I've ever been around. And and not just basketball mind. He had an ability to Doug, he could figure stuff out, whether it was live, personal, and, and you'd be like, Holy cow, that makes so much sense. He was just and I and I just I hate Alzheimer's and dementia and all that stuff because it robs uh the brain and it's just horrible. You know, it's interesting. Um I think uh I think you know my dad was on the team with him at Ohio State, right. right? Right. So I think that had he got into broadcasting before it ended at Indiana, there's a chance he could have gone down as maybe the greatest broadcaster ever. Right. He, he didn't have what Al McGuire had in terms of just being fun and being glib, but he was, as you know, he could when he wanted to turn on the charm, he was a charmer and he could be really funny and he was really smart, but he just had a presence that so few yeah. have, but by the time he came around to broadcasting, he was a curmudgeon and he was, he was defensive 
and it was he was get kind of get off my lawn. And I actually yeah. I actually think the broadcasting did him a disservice because you know there's lots of people out there that are 35 or younger and all they know of him is Neil Reed, a little bit of Texas Tech, a lot of grumpy broadcasting and and they've seen an old video of him throwing a chair, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's sad. And you're right. I I didn't think Doug I did not think I was going to get to play for him. And when Landon Turner got hurt, which was the summer before I went there, uh, he thought seriously, before Landon got hurt, he thought seriously of getting out of broadcasting. And one of the assistants was pretty close to my dad, and he said, you know, CBS offered Coach Knight an unbelievable deal to broadcast games. And and I can't remember the timing. You know, NBC used to have it with Billy and and, uh, Coach McGuire and, of course, Dick Enberg. So I don't know the I don't know the exact timing of it all, but apparently he was going to be basically CBS's El McGuire, and according to the assistant coach to my dad, he was going to take the job or was seriously considering taking the job, and that would have been the summer of 1981, um, the year after he won national championship, and then Landon Turner gets paralyzed in a horrific car accident, and he goes on a goes on a rampage to make money and support Landon, and couldn't leave. You know, couldn't said no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna, you know, I got players here. I got people that care. So I really think, Doug, to your, I think your point is absolutely right, 100. percent I think that um, he was going to do it. It was offered to him, but Landon's injury or Landon's uh, crash really changed his opinion on it. But uh, there's no doubt he, he, he was. Uh, he was very good, but you, you couldn't be more right. I think that. Younger people today, and not that young either, you know, maybe 35, maybe 40 under, view him in very, very, very certain terms. Now you see, Doug, you know, you, you really, I mean, if you really pay attention, a lot of tributes, but that whole senior night speech of, you know, I want him to bury me yeah, upside yeah, yeah, down. And, yeah. you know, that's that's the stuff that you see, man. And, you know, that that was a part of him, no doubt. But as I tell everybody, the good on a day-to-day basis, the good, the fun outweighed, you know, the other garbage, you know, ten to one. Um, basketball-wise, what what are the things I've tried to tell people? You know, there's there's lots of people like, well, you know, the motion offense. What people don't know when he was first at West Point, early at Indiana, he ran something called the California Reverse, which is Pete Newell's yeah. offense, right? Yeah. And he was the, considered the greatest clinician. You know, he and Hubie Brown were the clinicians that everybody would go to. My dad still had left behind copious notes uh, from from uh, Coach Knight's uh, uh, clinics. But you coached with him, you played for him. What are the things that he taught that are still taught today? Well, you, you know, I don't care what job you're in. Uh, preparation was something I did not know. My high school coach was great, but we played a 2-3 zone. We played in the state finals. My high school coach didn't even want to swap tapes with the other school. He's like, no, we do what we do, which is an old, I guess, John Wooden thing. But I was shocked, Doug. I didn't know what a walkthrough was. I had no idea. I had no idea what a scout team was. I had literally no idea. And, you know, when you think about the job that you're in or the job that any of us are in, you got to prepare for the job. I mean, if you're a school teacher, you got you got you got teachers' plans. If you're a broadcaster, you know, you're not just showing up two minutes before and doing a show. You're preparing, and that's in every job. And that's the thing. And the other thing about him, and you know what, Doug, I'll say this, man. He worked at it. 
I was probably the last six years. Let me see. I was four years a player, two years a graduate assistant, two years, probably the last four years, five, six years. We would go down to this little room off of the court and sit there and watch film. And I mean, till two o'clock when we'd go to lunch and come back for a three thirty practice. I mean, every day. Like he, 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 I try to tell people, this wasn't that complex, man. We were going to sit there, we were going to watch film, we were going to study, we were going to take notes, we were going to watch more, watch more, watch more, and come up with what we were going to do or what he was going to do. And I, you know, we were me, myself, and other assistants. We were just you know side piece to it, but that's what it was. And he worked at it. He wasn't showing up at you know three o'clock for a three thirty practice with a half ass practice plan. He. Every drill, everything we do every day was scripted. And player, as a player, you knew it. Like, you knew every day, Doug, that he was bringing it. There was no bullshit. There was, oh, excuse me. There was you can no say nonsense. bullshit. You can say bullshit on the pod. Just, you know, you're fine. <laughs> okay. All right. There was no nonsense. There was no, he's going to take this day off. None. Zero. Zip. You knew he was bringing it. Period. No question. And so when you combine those things and you got a mind that can see things better than anybody that I've ever been around in a very matter-of-fact way, pretty good. It's a pretty good combination. But the, the idea of being fair and, and, and making sure that everybody feels included, he did a great job with that. The idea that we're going to work at it and we're going to prepare like crazy, he did a great job with that. And the idea that he was he was every day going to bring it now. Some days it was teaching. Some days it was to teach lessons. Some days it was to punish. But it was not going to be haphazard. It was going to be thought out and done really, really organized. Would really he, organized. Would he be able to be – did he have the ability, you think, to evolve, to be able to be anywhere near as successful in today's landscape? No. Um it, it, he would have had the ability, but not the want to. He, he, Doug, I, I always tell people this, and this is probably me going to offend some guys, but I see all these guys in the Hall of Basketball Hall of Fame, right? They're all the modern coach in the Basketball Hall of Fame is, if you really look at it, every one of them has either been on probation, been suspended for cheating, something, something, except him. Now, he got suspended for kicking his kid, you know, or something stupid like that, but never for anything where he had to deal with boosters or agents or that whole Duke thing where, you know, the Louisiana newspaper had a few years ago where there are guys that live in frickin' Alaska or somehow some way living in Durham, their families are dealing with shoe companies or Marvin Bagley's of the world. He could have done it. Like, he could have. He would have put up – if he wanted – I always used to say, man, if you ever wanted to cheat, you'd be the smartest dude ever cheating. Because he had that kind of brain. He had diabolical brain. But his, I don't know if it was his conscience or his morals or whatever it was, he, he could scream at you. Obviously, he could grab a player. Obviously, he could headbutt a player. But he wasn't going to cheat, Doug. And when I say he wasn't going to cheat, I mean to tell you, he was going to. I got fired. You were probably a player. There was a time where you could only call players once a week. And. Yeah. Yeah, and, I got recruited. You can only call guys once a week. They can call you whatever yeah. you want, but you can only call them once a week. Yep. Right. So I was on the road in Canada, and I called a player, and he had said, hey, I just talked to Coach Felling, one of our assistants, a couple of days ago, and I'm like, oh, crap. 
I mean, this is a nothing rule, right? This rule doesn't matter, nothing, right? But I'm like, so I called the compliance lady. The compliance was just getting started. She got a hold of coach. I had to come back home uh, from Canada, get a flight. The only time, actually, it was the first time I ever got drunk on a flight. I figured, what the hell, I'm getting fired. Give me a couple bottles of Jack Daniels and let me just sit here. And uh, I got reamed out. I was going to be fired all for making one phone call. And uh, But that's what he was. He was not. And so could he do it? I think he could. Would he do it? There's nothing in his makeup that I knew that said he was going to deal or evolve into shoe companies or or – agents or any of that stuff. Nothing. Zero that I knew of them. Double D, Dan Dockage. Check out uh, Don't At Me. Of course, you can watch it or listen to it on Outkick. Double D, you're the best, man. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Doug. Honored you invited me, my friend. Thanks, my friend. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's ready to get to Creighton? You don't watch Creighton. They play, and I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of and those. Then have, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? See the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Let's get to what the Fox says. And now... (laughs) This is Dan Patrick. 
This is Dan Patrick talking about the Raiders. Antonio Pierce, interim head coach for the Raiders, and coincidental, who's he facing his first game as head coach? His New York Giants. Good time to face the Giants, by the way. And I started looking at the roster. You know, when you think of a team that's going to fire its coach midseason, the Raiders really don't fit that form. Because you do have a good wide, a great wide receiver. You've got a really good running back. You've got Max Crosby, a really good edge rusher. Those are the ingredients that you need to start your team with. Now, you do have to have a good, you know, a consistent quarterback. And they are missing that. I don't know if Aiden O'Connell from Purdue is going to be the answer, but I know reading everything, they really like him a lot, and maybe they find their Brock Purdy. Then all of a sudden, get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo's salary. You're going to bring in a new coach, new GM, but you got to find somebody who's going to be a football guy to help Mark Davis, the owner. Because you can get rid of Josh McDaniels. Well, you never should have hired him in the first place. Uh, yeah, I, I look, I, we said this yesterday and I mean it, it's a very Raiders move. Um, it's not a crazy move considering doesn't hurt you in the salary cap. And Mark Davis said he didn't, he saw regression, not progression. I, I think the two things that ultimately got Josh McDaniels fired and maybe this, beca- maybe I can think of a third, which is very simple. He hadn't won previously. And so you don't have this, you don't have the equity of, Hey, look, just trust the process. This guy knows what he's doing, right? Like Sean Payton, no matter how bad it goes this year, and maybe even next year, you'll still go like, you know, Sean Payton's been pretty good for a decade in New Orleans. Uh, Josh doesn't have that as a head coach, but the two things that undid it were one, you know, how he kind of purported himself. And of course, you know, bringing in all expatriate guys, you know, bringing in guys that have, he's gone to war with before. But two, the biggest thing is Garoppolo wasn't, didn't play well enough. You know, I talked to people in the league last night and they were like, doesn't I'm not really big on O'Connell, but we've seen Garoppolo. He hasn't been good enough. He got his coach fired. So I, I, I think that's a big portion of it. And it is a bit of a bold move. I do think it's curious the timing with the Jim Harbaugh stuff and the fact that people have thought Harbaugh would ultimately be a guy with the Raiders. But let's not get ahead of ourselves yet. I don't know if Harbaugh is going to leave college. You know, those deals, you wake up with a better roster than nine out of the 10 teams you play. Why would you ever leave that? On the other hand, I think we see the reasons that this change was made. Here's uh, two pros and a cup of Joe talking about Bob Knight. I love that guy. And yeah. I know, I listen, I know nowadays, probably in the minority when it comes to, well, you know, that wouldn't be accepted these days and his treatment of players and all that. That was old school as old school could get. And I thought yep. he was hilarious. I, I thought it was great. He was effective, too, in his Hell era. Yeah. He was an Ohio guy. You know, a lot of people recognize him as uh, you know the Indiana head basketball coach because of his success there as a coach. But born in Ohio, born right outside of, uh, of, of Maslin, and uh, went to Ohio State. Like, I, I grew up knowing Bobby Knight for that. Like, he was a part of the teams with John Havlicek and Jerry Lucas that they won a national championship. They went to three. They actually lost in the in the finals twice, um, but that was kind of the legend of of what I knew of him growing up in Columbus, Ohio, and it, you know it was interesting watching his coaching career because 
as as great of a coach as he was, there was also controversy that came along with it. Yeah. But you couldn't deny the fact that he was passionate about the game. He was passionate about the players he coached. Um, and I just, you know, it, it's one of those legendary coaches that you lose and you say, like, there'll never be anyone like Bob, Bob Knight again. Never. Well, that's true. That is absolutely the truth. Um, talked about a little bit in the open. Um, you know, that he's it's a complicated legacy. It's unfair to not mention the negative, but it's also unfair to not mention the positive. And um, I, I think it's one of those things where so oftentimes guys coach a little bit too long. Um, the timing of when you do everything in your life but make no mistake about it. He was a brilliant man, a brilliant basketball coach and as revered in the coaching profession as anyone who has ever done it, ever done it. And he did evolve. They, they did embrace the three point shot when he was at Texas tech. Um, but he, there was a, there was a temper there that was, uh, unlike any that others got away with, but I had, I have so many friends that played for him. And, you know, look, my coach who I played for, he had his own flaws. He never won a national championship, but he had his own flaws, which you can hold against him. But the overall good was so much better than the overall bad. The, the, the thing I think people don't know or can't uh, understand unless they played against or were at a, a Bob Knight game was, it's about presence. He was a big man. He was like six foot three, six foot four. And I'll never forget my fourth game or maybe no, my second game at, uh, at Notre Dame, we played at Indiana, played in assembly hall. And, you know, I had met him one or two previous times and I had, um, my dad was friendly with them. I wouldn't say they were friends. It was like so many uh, who came in contact with Bob Knight. My dad was a walk-on on those teams at Ohio State who played JV. He didn't play varsity, so he practiced against those guys. But it wasn't like they were best buddies, but they were more than cordial. And sometimes, you know, when Bob Knight wanted to turn on the charm, he'd turn on the charm. But when he walked out with that red sweater and the red polo shirt underneath, and he had a bunch of other minions, uh, we used the word fiefdom yesterday. He had his own fiefdom in Bloomington. Like that dude had a presence and a remarkable wit, incredible sense of humor. Uh, he was incredibly well-read as well. And he was complicated. And, and the complication comes from you can't mention the bad without mentioning the overall good, but you can't just do all the good and not say like, man, you can't put your hands on a player. You can't do some of the things he said. You know, the chair throwing, the, the chair kicking, the way in which at times he would treat and talk to people. Like those things, they didn't play well then. They wouldn't play at all now. Here's Colin Cowherd talking about the Lakers. LeBron was remarkable last night. He filled up the box score 35, 12, seven assists in 42 minutes. 42 minutes. That's not ideal. Listen, LeBron is better than any basketball player in the history of the world in year 21. But it's remarkable how much better he is. At the end of the game, he had the most energy. He was the best player. He was the most efficient. If the NBA was March Madness and the playoffs were just one game at a time, 
everybody equally rested. One game, couple nights off, three nights off, another game. I think LeBron could peel off an NBA championship. I'm thinking right now, though, the NBA is long. The playoffs are longer. Seven games against the best teams, the best defenses, the same players in a series. They know all your tricks. They're long, hard minutes. He'll wear down. He'll get banged up. He won't be as effective. And that's why they're not going to win a championship. But it's year 21. Year 21. He's not supposed to be in these wind sprints in November. It's supposed to be a marathon. And the Lakers are trying to scale back his minutes. And then it gets to the fourth quarter, and it's the Clippers, and you're at Staples, and you can't beat them, and it is a rivalry, and it feels like a playoff game, and it really did last night. Um, look, I'll tell you about the game. So I watched every, every second of that game. And his, he is remarkable. And what's, what's brilliant about LeBron is how he's able to conserve energy at times. Truly, there were big stretches of the game. There was a big, mo- big stretch in the third quarter, and that's really where the Clippers um, maybe lost the game. Third quarter, early fourth, where he was out, and that's where the the Lakers were better, and they were better because they were much more connected defensively, and they let Austin Reeves kind of do his thing and Anthony Davis do his thing. But LeBron, he takes plays off defensively he'll take a lot of plays off offensively and just let others do their deal and kind of stand around and walk around and catch his breath and then when need be you know he's become a really good shot maker and then you know he has a couple of sprint out dunks I think he had probably three or four of those sprint out dunks right he had a sprint out dunk he had a technical free throw two technical free throws um he had a couple he had a, a catch and shoot wide open three it's like the, the box score belies how much he actually does because there are times in which he does look old. But for 39 years old, I mean, it's incredible. Incredible. Clippers screwed that game up. Make no mistake about it. They don't have a uh, deep enough bench because they don't have Harden yet. They don't have... Um, uh, they don't have uh, their uh, backup two guards. They're starting Bones Highland. And what's his name? Trey... Uh, Huh? Yeah. Yeah. They don't have man playing just yet. Uh, he's got a bad ankle. You know, when you, if you add Harden, you add man, th- they were already better. And of course, Paul George is in foul trouble, but it shouldn't take away from how remarkable LeBron is. But the flaw to that team is they got to count. Like, we're going to look up right now and like Austin Reeves, what a crossover, what a finish. Austin Reeves didn't do much most, most of the game. Matter of fact, he hurt them because they went at him defensively. So I, I don't think there's any question. He's the best conditioned athlete I have ever seen. And because he never had times in his career where he let himself get out of shape, I think the lack of true debilitating injuries. But yeah, last night, not ideal for the long term, but a huge win for the Lakers in the short term. Let's find out what's annoying Jason Stewart. And now, it's your annoying. Hey, Doug, did you know the Chiefs are going to Germany this weekend? (laughs) Um, Their receiver, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, said something very insightful, and I appreciate his honesty. It sounded like this. What are you guys doing that's different this week? Uh, obviously, the travel is a big thing there. How has Andy and and the staff 
prepped you guys to, like you said, 930 in the morning, kickoff, jet lag, travel, et cetera? You know, we haven't started yet. I mean, today is our, our first day back, you know, so we have to go over, look over the tape for the last game. So we haven't even you know, talked about our, our plans for this upcoming week. So we'll find that out tomorrow. Um, I'm not even sure what day we leave, um, but, you know, obviously, it's going to suck with both teams that have to travel over there. So, you know, we'll we'll both be on the, the same page of, you know, how to deal with that uh, time difference and, you know, being able to go out and play a game at, you know, 930 in the morning or what it'll feel like 930 in the morning to us. Okay. So that he went on to say that he would have to find a, uh, a dog sitter for his dogs and leave his family. And it's not really enjoyable. Um I give him credit for saying out loud, I think, what a lot of players think. And and frankly, what a lot of fans think. Basically, what Marquez is saying is, what's in this for me? And I think NFL fans in America should be asking that, too. Like, this whole thing about the uh, London and Germany games and stuff, like, they try to make it out to be a big deal to us. Like, we need to care. Like, that's a, that's what's annoying is the NFL's attempt to kind of gaslight us into thinking that us playing in Germany is a big deal and you should be excited about it. Why? What what does it do for me? And Marquez, to his credit, isn't very thrilled to play there. And I don't I don't blame him. Right? Um, I don't know, dude. I mean, I I, I just so so. What's annoying to you is that everybody else. Uh, you think bullshits and ask, acts like they're excited to play there and he's the only one being real about it? No. The, the, what annoys me is that the NFL expects me to be excited about it. And by I don't extension, think they expect you to be excited about it. Really? No. They I don't do a, think they no, do a lot trying, of promotion on this. Yeah, because they're, they're just trying to grow. I mean, it's a, it's a different time to watch it or whatever. No, this is to grow the game into Europe. This is to get more eyeballs. This is this is like the halftime show. I know why they halftime do Halftime show is not for me and you. Halftime shows for people who wouldn't normally watch football. That's what this is for. Yeah, I I just I can't get excited about it. I don't know what it does for me. Um right. I will tell you some somebody who gets excited about everything and this is what annoys me. Steve Barmer talked about the new uh basketball arena last night. Set out to build what I call basketball heaven. You know, the most intense, hardcore, just bumping and pounding arena ever built. 51 straight rows, no suites on one side. Steve to get it like a college gym. We got an acre of scoreboards. We can tell you every statistics, every replay, everything. We have an extra court in the building just for the fans. In addition to the game court, we have an outdoor court for fans. Basketball. When you get up to go, you know, get up to whatever, use the bathroom, get something to eat. We want you to get back in that seat because it's all about the hoop, man. It's all about the hoop. Hoop hype, I guess I should say. Here's what annoys me about this. I've never been that excited about anything in my life. And I have a feeling Steve Bomber is that excited about every endeavor he's ever done in his life. And I, I respect it. I'm envious of it. But what annoys me is I can never get to that level, Doug. Uh, yeah, I, I love it. I mean... You know, I mean, what I've heard about Steve Ballmer is he's the best owner in the world because he just does. He never asks how much it costs. You know, does it make sense? Okay, then do it. So, um, yeah, I get it. Like that level of energy, that level of passion. Granted, remember, he's got so much money and he just keeps making his money makes money. So he can have that level of passion for silly things like, 
like acre of scoreboard, you know? And none of it matters, by the way, if the team stinks. So the team's got to be good. But I will tell you, I've heard only incredible things about what they're doing with the Intuit Dome. All right, what, who else? Rob Manfred, on the biggest stage of the, um, what do you call it, the pinnacle of a sport, yeah. handing out the World Series trophy to the team that just won, basically in a historic fashion, by the way. We talked about this on the radio. What the Rangers did was just amazing. Nobody saw it, but it was amazing. Rob Manfred pulls a Peter Brady. Now, I know I'm dating myself, but I think, John, you remember the episode, Peter Brady, his voice is changing. He's got to sing, what, in the choir or something? No, they're, they're making an album uh, when it's time to of change. Of course, the Brady family album. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And his voice is changing. Yeah. So um, Rob Manfred pulls a Peter Brady as he's trying to give away the uh, the trophy. 63 years is a long time to wait, <laughs> but the Texas Rangers are World Series champions. It's my distinct pleasure to present the Commissioner's Trophy to Ray Davis, Neil Liebman, and Chris Young. 63 years. <laughs> I could get why a fan, Doug, would be like, because you're screaming during the game. But who not he neutral? Like, who would he, why would his voice be out? Because he probably went to parties the night before. Oh. And he, he, you know, it's, it's, yeah, he's probably sick. Sick, yeah. okay. I don't think he's sick. I don't think that's what it is. Here's I, <coughs> this is honestly what happens. You go. There's a big thing when you go. It's like Super Week is in Vegas this year, so the, every night there's a party. There's a you know, and if you're like at a dinner party, it's fine. Like I only do dinner parties at the Super Bowl until Friday night, and then I'll go out and do whatever because you got to get up the next day and talk. You know, you have to talk for a living. So when you go to a party, you're like, what? Yeah, no, they're incredible. And then you wake up the next day and you can't. If you don't speak for a living, even when you do speak for a living, it's hard. And if you don't, you can lose your voice. No question. I think that's what happened. Um, but it is, it, it's is—it's—it's annoying, huh? <laughs> so Ma- uh, Manfred, the Germany game, and Steve Ballmer's excitement that I can never reach. Mm, I, got, I got one. I got one. Uh, last night, the Lakers got called for a technical foul for Hank Jarvis. Uh, was the, what's, the, what's Hayes' first name? Gosh dang it. Played for Texas. He played for the Knicks last year. Why am I forgetting what his name is? Anyway, Hayes is his last name. Incredible athlete. Jackson Hayes. Thank you. Jackson Hayes got a technical foul for a hanging on the rim. And by the way, he did it because he probably would have fallen on his back if he didn't hang on the rim. He was going so fast. But it's the NBA. Right? Outside of pulling yourself up, standing on top of the rim and flashing the bird to everybody or flashing your backside to everybody. Like I, I, I understand you, everybody's watching when you dunk, you don't want to showboat that much, whatever, but what are we doing calling technical fouls for hanging on the rim in the NBA? What, what are we actually doing? How does that affect the game at all? And like little kids love slam dunks. We want more little kids watching the game. NBA officials giving out technical fouls to Jackson Hayes for hanging on the rim, especially in this case when he actually had to do it. You're annoying! Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Let's welcome in Jared Smith, Fox Sports Radio betting analyst, co-host of Fox Sports Radio's Countdown to Kickoff with Rich Ornberger, Brian No airs each Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern time. Listen live on our Fox Sports Radio affiliates to the iHeartRadio app, presented by BetMGM. Um, Jared, let's start with the game near and dear to my heart, Oklahoma taking on Oklahoma State. I don't know if this is the last time they'll play ever, but it's the last time they'll play for uh, in, the, in the near term. Uh, Oklahoma State comes in as one of the hotter teams in the country, definitely one of the hottest teams in the Big 12 after stubbing their toe uh, twice. You know, Iowa State, South Alabama, they reeled off four in a row. They are at home, and the last time they played Oklahoma in Boone Pickens Stadium, they got a win, but historically they lose 90% of the time. Oklahoma's a six-point favorite coming off a disappointing loss at Kansas, the total 61. What do you think? Yeah, I think last week was a very strange game for Oklahoma. Lightning delay, a lot of weather in Lawrence, and obviously they lost the game. And I think if you ask some of the experts, Oklahoma kind of was due for a loss based on how they were playing. That Texas game was really back and forth, and and they haven't looked sharp since. But I really think the weather played a big factor, and the game plan was obvious. 55 runs for Oklahoma's offense, 26 passes and only 19 passing attempts because of you know quarterback runs and, and fumbles and sacks and all, all that other fun stuff that happened to Oklahoma in that game. And it just looked like Dylan Gabriel wasn't comfortable with the conditions, it, I, I hope. 
uh, the conditions are better this week because it'll make for a more interesting game. Oklahoma State's defense, and that's the key. Can they handle the pace? We talked about that with Texas. They, they, you saw it earlier in that game. They maybe kind of handled it a little bit and then, and then wore them down late. But Oklahoma State's defense actually been trending up, although the opponents have been kind of suspect, West Virginia, Cincinnati. It's interesting they play that 3-3-5, a lot of run blitzes. And I think you can pop explosives around the edge on that Cowboys defense. And that's what we're going to see, I think, this week with Taylor Walker. Um, and Nick Anderson, too, is going to be an absolute key in this game. He's a freshman speedster, averaging almost 24 yards per reception. The seams are huge in that 3-3-5 defense. I think Dylan Gabriel and that Sooners offense will be more aggressive this week. The question is, on the other side of Oklahoma's State, Alan Bowman's looked good, but again, the, 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 the competition has been suspect. Early on, the loss to South Alabama was ugly. They finally gave him the reign. I really like what I've seen with the run game, Doug. The zone blocking scheme they kind of implemented lately has given Ollie Gordon a chance to explode over 500 yards over his last two games with six touchdowns. If Oklahoma State can get the run game going, you got the linebacker, Danny Stutzman, the leading tackle for Oklahoma. He's banged up. I'm hearing that it'll play, but we'll see if he's 100%. I, I do think the Cowboys can keep this close, but if Oklahoma ramps up that intensity on offense and we see those run-pass splits kind of flip this week, I, I do think the Sooners offense does have the explosion to get past this one and cover the number. So you like OU to cover? Yeah, I, I think I would lean OU, but I'm, I'm not betting this one. Okay. I, I, the, 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 I, I just... You know the 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 head says Oklahoma always goes in there kind of like last year they're up twenty eight to nothing sure. and Oklahoma State made it a game and uh, but you know I, I thought they were Oklahoma was in their head a little bit and I don't know how you escape that in short order I I really don't it's a tough spot too with Oklahoma off the loss like if Oklahoma won that game against Kansas last week I think Oklahoma State would be in a better situation but. I was reading some of the press clippings on Jeff Levy this week, and, and they are not happy with the Oklahoma OC. They were not happy with that game plan against Kansas. And uh, I, I think you'll see a much more aggressive Oklahoma offense this week, and that's what scares me because Oklahoma State's defense hasn't really been tested, especially the pace that the Sooners run. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I agree with that idea. Uh, just, just the idea, like, confidence is such a huge key, and – I do think that if Oklahoma came in undefeated, they'd be so confident. Maybe arrogant, and maybe that's why they lost last week was arrogant. So some of that some of that confidence has to take a shot. But I also think Styles make the fight, and Oklahoma State does not have a mobile quarterback, and Kansas did. So maybe that's what ends up. On, on the other hand, uh, and like kind of a straight old-school running game is what Oklahoma State's using, and I don't know how that works against Oklahoma's defensive line. So it's going to be going to be a fascinating one. Um uh, going to be a fascinating one in Stillwater this weekend. All right, let's 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 move along here uh, to a couple others. Stay, staying in the Big 12, K-State for about half a decade dominated Texas. That hasn't happened recently. But K-State, another team kind of in the chase here for a, a shot at the Big 12 championship. They, too, have gotten together 6-2 and two on the year. Texas, 7-1. and one. Texas is a four-point favorite. Four-point favorite at home. The total is 49.5. I like what I've seen recently from Kansas State's offense. The offensive line, the run game, is really starting to trend. They're averaging more than three yards per rush before first contact. Um, and their offensive line, again, top 10 in schedule-adjusted line yards created. The explosion is there. I, I think it'll be a different challenge this week against Texas' defense. It's obvious to me that, that this will be the best offensive line that Kansas State has faced all year. And this is one of the best 
Texas fronts I've seen in a while. I mean, they're top 10, top 15 across the board in every single category. The goal here, of course, to force Will Howard to beat you with his arm. Because when he's doing the whole play action, running game, RPO, control the game at my tempo type of style, that's when Kansas State is very dangerous to play against. But Texas's defense is just bend but don't break. They play five DBs. They're going to make you, you know, find those tight windows in the secondary, and they're going to rely on their plus four to stop the run because that's what they've done all year. The one key is Ethan Burke, who is, I think, one of the best uh, run defenders on the Texas team. He's like a hybrid linebacker, edge-type player. He's out in this game. And I think that might give Kansas State a bit of an edge in the run game. On the other side, for Texas offense, I, I mean, I watched that. I watched some replays of the Malik Murphy performance last week. Very underwhelming in his first start. Some of the county stats looked okay, but bad turnovers. The interception was inexcusable. He fumbled in the pocket getting sacked. Uh, not great with the goal line sets. And I do think this Longhorns defense got bailed out last week, or excuse me, Longhorns offense, got bailed out by the defense and the special teams last week. And I'm curious how much – Sark will trust Murphy in this spot. Kansas State can really get after you defensively, and I think we're going to see a lot of pressure coming, a lot of pressure looks from the D.C. Joe Klanderman because Murphy really struggled when pressured last week. You saw the accuracy dip. Uh, the, the passer rating was, was bottom barrel under pressure compared to when he was kept clean. He looked okay. So I think we're going to see a lot of high-pressure looks from Kansas State. Now, I, think, I think the Wildcats cover and maybe have a chance to win this game outright. This should be a really interesting matchup at all. Mm, mm, okay. Uh, got that one down as as one to uh, one to keep an eye on. Let's continue uh, moving around the country here. As um, I saw this one out west, uh, seems to be intriguing a lot of people. Washington's taking on USC. USC is a three point home dog. Washington survived last week, eight and zero on the year, on track to play for a potentially. You know they keep winning. They'll play for a a college football championship. I know they're not in the top four right now, but Ohio State and Michigan play each other. Obviously, they maintain being undefeated. And maybe even if they lose the game, they they, they still get in there. Uh, the total is 76 and a half. And again, USC is a three-point dog at home. Yeah, and I, I think this might be a Trojan horse, not to use a bad pun, but I, I think we're going to get one good USC performance down the stretch. I don't know where it's coming. I think it makes sense for it to come in this game. But I don't think we've seen the last of Caleb Williams in the Trojans' offense. Like I, I do think they're hearing everything that people are saying about him. And I, I saw a very respected draft uh, analyst this week, NFL draft analyst, actually put Drake May ahead of Caleb Williams in his in his top four. So there's some rumblings. And, and Bob Caleb, you know, maybe you're going to listen to to that criticism and you're going to respond to it. I do think USC might be out of gas, though, and that's where I struggle with this game against Washington. So they're playing for a seventh straight week, no buy. And they've had some really tough matchups in that, in, in that stretch. And, and the obvious question you have to ask yourself, like, how the heck does USC stop Washington's offense? Well, the Huskies have been trending down a little bit over the last two games. You go watch the tape against Stanford and Arizona State, both below average teams. The completion rate for Penix is 60%, four touchdowns, three picks. Counting stats, not that good. I think he's a little banged up. Jalen McMillan, who has tried to get back on the field multiple times this year, struggled, only played 12 snaps last week limped off the field with an injury, probably not going to play again this week. They have other weapons. Odunze and Polk have been explosive. But it's fair to question how USC is going to slow down this, this Washington offense. I have no idea. On the other side, I, I don't trust Washington's defense either. I mean, they play this really soft shell, five DBs. They don't give up the deep ball. They're going to make Caleb Williams dink and dunk. And that's the key. Is Caleb Williams going to paint by numbers here and kind of follow the script? 
or is he going to try to take shots in the double and triple coverage in this in this you know dime look secondary and cheat a little bit? I think if he stays disciplined, USC is going to move the ball in this game and look no further than Marshawn Lloyd, uh, averaging eight yards per rush on the year. I mean, Washington could be run on, and I think if USC controls the tempo, stays patient plays within themselves and doesn't go to the backyard ball. I mean, we're on the other side of the market now, Doug. We're always talking about USC laying points. Well, now we're catching a full field goal. The only way to bet this game, I think, is to take the three with USC. All right, let's go to the SEC. Got some big matchups here. LSU taking on Alabama. Ooh. Um, tied or a three-point favorite at home. LSU, 6-2 and two on the year. is uh, The total is 61.5. Beautiful sunny day in Tuscaloosa. Man, I can't wait for this game. I, so I, I think this game will determine two things. One, will Alabama have a chance to make the college football playoff? Obviously, if they win, they have to win out. That's the only scenario where they can be in the playoff. The other scenario, major impact, major implications in the Heisman market. If LSU wins this game, you are going to see Jaden Daniels be the favorite, maybe even the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman come Sunday or Monday, whenever the market reopens. Probably on Saturday during the game, they'll offer a live market, depending on how the game is going. But I, I think major uh, fork in the road for, for two futures markets this week, national championship playoff and, and the Heisman. And I, I think LSU's offense is playing like the best offense in the country. I obviously question the defenses that they played. These are not SEC-caliber defenses, even though they are parading around as SEC teams. Um, on the other side, though, I'm a little concerned about LSU's defense. Their best defensive player, Makai Wingo, just had surgery. He's their best run defender. And this is a run defense for LSU that was already with Wingo outside the top 90 in, in basically every analytical metric that I look at. So Bama's run game and Bama's ability to go play action off the run game and allow Jalen Milrow to do what he does best, which is just pepper the deep ball. Jalen Milrow, I, I cannot believe how good his numbers are on throws 20 or more yards down the field. And that is saying something, because I don't think this Bama receiver room is, is, is that explosive. He is top 10 in almost every single throw rate for default. 17 big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays on balls going 20 or more yards down the field. Almost 25% of his dropbacks result in a throw going 20 or more yards down the field. I mean, he is incredibly explosive. And I think this Bama run game has a chance to be really good. LSU, again, banged up defensively. They're hurting a little bit in the secondary as well. They're going to go with a converted safety at corner in this game. So as much as I love Jaden Daniels and LSU's uh, offense, I think Alabama has an edge here. They're at home. You're laying only a field goal. I think Bama's the way to play this stuff. All right. Uh, Georgia's a 15.5-point favorite at home against Missouri. That total is 56. Georgia struggled to cover all year, but this is a big and this is a big number against the Tigers. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think when you look at Georgia's um, offense is where I really start to see the improvement. We knew Georgia's defense was good. I think it's fair to question what their motivation was early in the year. So it's hard to look at some of those earlier games where teams kind of hung around and put any stock in it because you saw it against Missouri or against Kentucky. You saw it against Florida when the stakes got higher. Georgia raised their level. And there's not a lot of teams that can flip that switch, but I think Georgia has that ability defensively. The question was Carson Beck. And the interesting thing, I I watched an interview with him uh, recently, and he was basically telling us that it's been a while for him since he's gotten on the field. Remember, he was one of the top pro passers in the class in 2020 and and then sat behind multiple starters uh, at Georgia while they were winning national championships. But this was really the first time this season that he played a meaningful game since his senior year in high school. So 
I'm not surprised that it's taken him a few weeks to get back up to speed. He's getting his left tackle back this week, Amarius Mims. That should certainly help. And you're starting to see the offense, even without Brock Bowers. I mean, McConkie, they've got dudes on the outside that can stretch the field. Their running game is really starting to turn. Do I love laying 15, 16 points against Missouri? No. But I just don't see how Missouri's defense stops Georgia's offense. And I, I see a path for Georgia to kind of take Luther Burden out of the game and make Brady Cook a little more one-dimensional and kind of make Missouri's offense a little flat. So I, I think Georgia are pass from here. Um, okay. That's awesome, awesome stuff. Amazing stuff. Uh, Jared, thanks so much for your insight. Man, I love the show. It's called Count- Fox Sports Radio's Countdown to Kickoff with Rich Orenberger, Brian No. Airs each Saturday, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern time. Listen live on our Fox Sports Radio affiliates or the iHeartRadio app presented by BetMGM. Jared, you're the best. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, Doug. Okay, sir, the bet is to you. All in, baby! It's time for the pick of the day. All right, let's get to the pick of the day. Uh, pick of the day comes from Thursday Night Football. Pittsburgh taking on Tennessee. Um, Pittsburgh is a three-point favorite against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Tennessee is starting Will Levis. He gave them... New energy. They scored 28 against the Falcons. Previous to that, they lost two in a row. They have beaten the Bengals on the year. They've beaten the Chargers on the year. Um, I just, there's nothing about Pittsburgh's offense which makes me think it's going to be better outside the fact that, you know, maybe there's a quarterback change. I don't know. Uh, I, I look at this one, the total is 37. Yikes. I like Tennessee on the road. I just do, especially if you can get a hook in there. If you get three and a hook, take Tennessee all day. I'll take Tennessee to cover. Hell, give me Tennessee on the money line. That's our pick of the day. All right, that's it for the In the Bonus podcast. Check out the radio show daily, 3 to 5 Eastern time on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Traveling for one of the big conference tourneys in Nashville or Minneapolis this March? Do yourself a favor. Stay at Graduate Hotels, Bridgestone Arena, Target Center, Their hotels are close to both tournament venues. So why would you stay anywhere else? I love staying at the Nashville location, and I'll be at the Minneapolis location for the Big Ten Championship. And if you're one of my listeners, you can save 30% off with the promo code Doug. That's Doug, D-O-U-G. Good at any Graduate Hotels location, up to 30% off. How do you do it? Really simple. Book today at graduatehotels.com. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Thank you. 